So when I was watching Lost Boys the first time this week, I saw the Frog Brothers like gearing up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why does this seem familiar? And all I could think about was your story, Jimmy, of covering yourselves in weapons yeah. because of Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, it terrified me. I thought the end was, was like, near, and I was going to do something about it with steak knives. You are listening to the Give Me Five podcast, episode number 50. This is the Give Me Five podcast, a semi-entertaining show about very entertaining subjects. We discuss pop culture, entertainment, and a little bit of nostalgia. This week is going to be very heavy on the nostalgia. Very heavy. Very heavy. Then, based on our conversation, we come up with a top five list. Things like top five properties that shifted tone, theme, or style midstream, as we did a couple of weeks ago. Top five G.I. Joe vehicles. Top five Transformers. Top five comic book duos, things like that. I'm Jimmy, here with my co-host Rob. Cool saxophone solo. And Greg. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and together we are the Give Me Five Brain Trust. So this week, as we said, it's going to be very heavy on the nostalgia. Actually, we have one topic this week, and that is the movie The Lost Boys. We decided that this would be perfect for our 50th episode as it is the greatest vampire movie ever made. We've touched about it, you know, touched on it so many times throughout our first 50 episodes. So we're going to dedicate an entire episode to the Lost Boys. I <laughs> you, am excited about that. Me too. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I honestly, I love this movie. I mean, it's probably up in my top 10 without question. Um, I mean, you guys. Watched I've, it twice in the past 24 hours. Yeah, I, I've said mm-hmm. numerous times, uh, even on this podcast, that I think it's the best vampire movie ever made. And I, I, I agreed. I think it's a great movie. And if you haven't seen it, you really should check it out because it's it's a classic. And guys, what's even more exciting than our review of a 31-year-old movie is going to be our interview with Mr. Timmy Capello, also known as Tim Capello, also known as Beach Performer, from the movie The Lost Boys. We are super, super excited to talk to Tim. As you remember, he was the man playing the saxophone at the you know beginning of The Lost Boys, where Michael first sees Star. And he's agreed to come on and talk about his career, his new album, Blood on the Reed. And I'm so nervous. I, I just... He is such a nice guy and, and, you know, stick around, hear our chat with him. When you think of the movie, The Lost Boys, there's a few visuals that are very striking. There's the, the one you see a lot of Keith or Sutherland with the very cool lighting because it's been on the posters and out and Blu-ray covers and stuff. There's a lot of the establishing shots of Santa Carla and the Tim Capello performance always stands out in my mind. Uh, yeah. It is very eighties. Yeah. But it is awesome. And as Jimmy said, we are going to be interviewing him. At the time of this recording, we haven't actually done it yet. We're going to do that in a few days. But we are excited. And uh, the other thing is he was also, for approximately 15 years, we'll find out, yep. the touring saxophonist for Tina Turner. And I believe he also played with Peter Gabriel. 
So we're going to hear he a did. lot about that. Yeah. And I can't wait to talk to him about, you know, he's a, he's a multi-instrumentalist as well. So it's going to be great. Looking forward to it a lot. This is Greg coming to you from the future. We completed the Tim Capello interview and it was excellent with a ton of good information and interesting stories. So as a result of this, we are going to split up episode 50 into two episodes. We've got episode 50 side A, which is going to be about the Lost Boys, and episode 50 side B, which is going to be the interview with Tim or Timmy Capello about his life, his career, and the stuff he has going on now. Sorry that we're making you download two episodes. This is a review show, and there's probably going to be spoilers. Um, I don't even know that we're going to avoid any major twists on this one. It's just... Nah. Yeah, we're we're gonna discuss the movie, and it's it's gonna be a good time. Our fiftieth, we're gonna do what we want. That's right. A movie that has moved into the common zeitgeist. Exactly. Of there's references oh, yeah. to this movie in other movies and songs and music videos, as we'll talk about. I'm sure. Yeah. So if you didn't know, the town of Santa Carla has a real bloodsucker problem, or that if all of the corpses buried around there stood up at once, they'd have one hell of a population problem. You might want to pause the show and come back later. And we want to know what you think. So, of course, you can track us down on Facebook by searching for the Give Me Five podcast. You can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Give Me Five Pod, or you can email us at the Give Me Five Podcast or at Give Me Five Podcast at gmail dot com. And if you want to help us a lot, a few things you can do. One thing you can do is just tell all your friends about us. Be like, man, I listened to this really cool podcast. They reviewed a movie from thirty one years ago and <laughs> totally spoiled it for me. Those jerks. They're a-holes, but you should listen to their show, so that helps us. You can, of course, leave us a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you are using. Uh, and there's some ways you can also help us just to, by doing stuff you're going to do anyway. And we, in all of our podcast webpage stuff, like the links that you see on Facebook and stuff, there is a Amazon link. It doesn't cost you any extra money, but a small percentage of whatever you buy on Amazon will come to us so when you go out there and buy like i don't know what's a ridiculous thing people buy on amazon like a, a sauna perhaps <laughs> um i was trying to think of something practical um a sauna. well after this episode maybe you want to buy an entire bathtub full of garlic i'm in a sauna right now it's hotter than hell in my apartment so, so maybe a bathtub full of garlic maybe a um a cold bathtub full of a bathtub full of cold garlic yeah or some uh now, is the garlic water? cold or is the water cold? Both. Yeah. yeah. So is the, is, is the cold garlic like ice cubes? No. What? Cooling Look, the I think the I think the water and garlic both need to be room temperature to, to melt the vampire. Oh, well. Anyway. So <laughs> right, holy you can water, do any of that stuff. Breath. Anyway, um, just and another little thing. Um, we're going to have a lot of little information and facts and stuff like mm -hmm. that. We're not, we're not going to do like a regular review of the movie because at this point, watch the movie. We're going to talk about some of the little facts, some of the little... Things that it inspired, things that we noticed about the movie, but we're not just going to go step by step through the movie. Yep. Um, so a lot of these facts came from a few places. Uh, we found that on, on the Internet Movie Database, on MovieWeb, uh, Geek Tyrant, and the El Rey Network, all these are websites. They do some pretty cool things where they'll do like, you know, 10 things you didn't know about this movie and you know, 20 things about The Lost Boys, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, without all the clickbait. And it's all on one page. You don't have to go through like 20 forward arrows so thank you guys and that is our sighting 
since we are doing a movie that is, of course, 31 years old, which you've heard us say a bunch of times, uh, we're not going to go with any new news this week. We It will, of course, be back next week. And honestly, not a lot of stuff has really happened this week other than a few controversial things that we don't like really getting into here. However, we do have a couple snap decisions that are, in fact, Lost Boys themed. Boom. Let's do it. So snap decisions. What snap decisions are is we talk about a little bit of news or bring up a topic and ask a question about it. And we have a minute to answer the question. Uh, this week, as I said, they're going to be Lost Boys themed. So I'm going to choke to death. <coughs> Don't do that. Uh, <laughs> Since our producer is dead, this is going to be our 50th and last episode. <clears throat> okay, I am back. I got a little bit of uh He's a zombie. I got some spielkes in the Gnecticozoink. So anyway, only you can pull that off. The question that I have, and it was something I was thinking about as I was watching this, is why do you think that The Lost Boys holds up even though it is 31 years old? Because it has aged well. It has. It's aged very well. Honestly, you want to go first, Jimmy? I'll let you go first. Okay. I was going to say, I'm not sure what it is about the movie. Because like like we said earlier, I just rewatched it uh, yesterday and started watching it again tonight. Um, it's just, it's really well done. It's got a cohesive story. It makes sense. They didn't overreach with any, with any like really gaudy special effects. And they kind of left some of the, some of the tougher stuff out. Like you don't have any, you don't necessarily have any awkward like wire flying. Um, although there is a little bit of wire flying in the end of the movie. Um, but it's not, it's not campy. It's not cheesy. It's, I mean, it's just really, it's just really well done, and I think that shows through, even though it is actually thirty-one years old. Is that is that my minute? It you is. were under a minute, I think. Yeah, you were at thirty. You were like forty seconds. Death by stereo. <laughs> All right, so I'll go ahead and go. Um, for me, with the Lost Boys, uh, it's aged so well because the characters in the movie have aged so well. You look at Kiefer Sutherland now. You look at Jason Patrick. I mean, they just look like slightly older versions of vampires um the vampires that they played in the movie i think that there's an under underlying story of of brotherhood in the movie between sam and and michael that i think is just very sweet um and uh you know the the songs from that movie have have you know become kind of cult classics in themselves as well and like Rob said, the special effects, they're, they're practical effects and they're not bad at all. There is a, a nice, I hear the bats. Um, they don't age, so the movie doesn't age itself by now that you played that sound effect, it doesn't show them as bats flying, which would absolutely age it. You only see, only ever see their bat feet. So that's probably about a minute. Death by stereo. Uh, 53 seconds. Awesome. Greg, what and- do you think? On my end, um, I think it has aged so well because a lot of the themes are things that are that are still around today. Ah, uh, you know, good the, point. The fear of moving from a small town to a big city that where everything is kind of weird and everyone is strange, and that's a quote from the movie or a song from the movie. Uh, the idea of you know you meet the the weird kids that think that there's something strange going on in their neighborhood. So forgive the Ghostbusters theme there. No man. But like meeting those kids that are 100% sure that they're, you know, that there's vampires or that their neighbors are serial killers or something like that. 
it's, you know, I think all of us hopped on our bikes and thought there's that one weird house down the street that's haunted or something like that. And finding the way they did it, they made a lot of those things feasibly true in the world of that movie. And it's interesting and it's beautifully shot. Death by stereo. Very nice job. Very nice guys. Good job. So how about, do you think they should do a big budget sequel or reboot of the lost boys? (sighs) Okay. So here we go. They've tried to make sequels and by all accounts and by all accounts, I mean, according to Kerwin, um, if you go (laughs) into those with very low expectations, they're okay. Now, my stipulations for a big-budget reboot, which I don't think would be bad because we've got Cry Little, Cry Little Sister by Marilyn Manson. I think that's a great cover. If we updated the soundtrack, Tim Capello, who you're going to hear from later, is still out there playing, I still believe. Um, as long as those things are included, as long as it takes place in the 80s, and they don't try and update it for... 2018 and they do include at least some original cast members i'm fine with it looking at you fright night Death by stereo i didn't see that and i love the original fright night yeah they 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 yeah no i i did not like the the redo the reboot so what from, was colin what's his name colin farrell he just looks dirty all the time i don't trust him <laughs> I'll go with this one as well. So if you're listening, Colin Farrell, come find me. How great would that be if he walked into the classroom tomorrow and just dragged Jimmy out by his ear? I heard you've been talking about me. I'd be like, hit me first. I've got something on this too. Uh, We're going to talk about it later, but there was an idea for a sequel when the original one came out. And somehow it didn't come together. And it was going to be Lost Girls. And I kind of like that as the next natural progression because as you know the all of the main vampires pretty much die and it's very clear that they're dead except for one of them again something we'll talk about later and it's possible that that person could go off and have another group of vampires somewhere else as for a i don't think i want to see a reboot because i've seen enough of the reboots i've seen robocop total recall fright night all those they just go so overboard with the the visual effects and none of them are good i'd rather see the next logical step where you see where those things are. I do like the idea of it being set in the 80s, you know, maybe a few years yeah. later, or the early 90s, maybe. But I think mm-hmm. they should do it. Death by stereo. Yeah, I'm fine with it, as long as it's a, a passion project by whoever does it. What do you have to say, Rob? I, I get leery when it comes to the bastardization of my childhood. Um, I, I don't want to necessarily see a big-budget reboot I might be okay with the sequel, um, like the like the initial planned sequel that was that just never came to fruition. Lost Girls. I I, I would probably be okay with that, but you you know how I feel about about reboots and 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 stuff like that. I'm I'm not a huge fan of them, especially when they're movies that that I grew up with and loved as a child. Um, I I was very distraught when I heard that they were going to reboot Goonies. I was like, no, what? How do you recapture that? You can't stop. Just let it go. But yeah, the reboots tend to bug me a little bit, but I might be okay with a, uh, with a sequel lost girls. Death by stereo. You both have convinced me that that's probably the better direction to go, but still has got to include some original cast members. 
Yes. Well, the, I was going to say the, the the most the most pleasing reboots that I have seen um, generally are ones that have nods to the original. So, like um, the Karate Kid. Did you did you see the reboot for that? Yeah, it was actually pretty good, except for the Justin Bieber soundtrack. It, exactly, exactly. But part of that, I think, stemmed from the fact that it it leaned so much on the actual original, even though it took place in another in another city in another country. Um, the story was a little bit different, but there were scenes that I'm watching it going, "Oh my god, this is right out of the original movie." So you know, if if they can lean on that and give a little wink and a nod to the original movie, then they end up being okay. But I still don't think they're as good as the original. And that was agreeing. With Rob and Greg. No, that was Snap Decisions. <laughs> also known as agreeing with Rob and Greg. It's okay. Death by Stereo. All right, guys. So as previously mentioned, we are going to talk about the Lost Boys and pretty much nothing but the Lost Boys on this portion of the show. So let's go back to 1987, specifically July 31st. You know, just we're just beyond 31 years. Not not by long. Uh, the film was directed by the man that put nipples on the bat suit, uh, Mr. <laughs> Joel Schumacher. <laughs> yeah. Good job. Yeah. That, so I, I've been, we've all been doing a lot of research on this. And the movie was originally supposed to be directed by Richard Donner, but he was actually filming Lethal Weapon at the time. Hmm. And there was a bunch of changes, yeah, probably I, tonally and stuff like that. I thought I had seen that um... – it, it languished a little bit, so he took up the Lethal Weapon job, and then when they actually got the green light, he was in the middle of filming Lethal Weapon. Yeah. And actually, the director that they first brought on was fired for Creative Differences. Mary uh, something. Oh, I actually did not see that one. Hmm. Joel Schumacher picked this up. I think it was right after St. Elmo's Fire. Mm -hmm. And I Wasn't do find it... Rob Lowe in that? He was, and that is you'll that's actually makes sense because, of course, there is a semi-famous you know, seductive Rob Lowe poster <laughs> in, is it Sam? Is that the Sam, yeah. Sam, yeah. In yeah. Sam's room, which people tried to look too much into when it was just, I just finished making a movie with Rob Lowe and I want to give him a little bit of a funny shout out. Uh-huh. Uh, I think Rob Lowe might actually be a vampire because he still looks really good. <laughs> yeah. I think he, he just drinks like a, a lot of like wheat grass. Ah, uh, Okay. Very California type. So uh, the cast yeah. of Lost Boys. Um, good, you, you put it down, so go ahead. Sure, we've got the first movie that spawned, uh, you know, a buddy-buddy relationship in the 80s uh, between Corey Feldman and Corey Haim, who were both 13 at the time. They became known as the two Corys and, you know, made many movies together. Uh, Jameson Newlander is Edgar Frog, Jason Patrick as Michael, Jamie Gertz is star Kiefer Sutherland, who was 18 at the time, Alex Winter, Billy Worth, also 18, and Brooke McCarter. Alex Winter, who is Bill from Bill and Ted, by the yes, way. Yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. And a movie director in his own right now. Yes. And and who would have thought that it would have been Corey Haim that went from the drug overdose? Because, I mean, the stories that were – Corey Feldman was actually fired from this movie. From the Lost Boys because he came he came to work coming down from a cocaine binge that he had had previous Ugh, and, and he was 13. fired I... and after he after he came back and apologized to Joel Schumacher and promised that it would never happen again he was rehired the next day but still uh, actually Corey Ham died of pneumonia 
Oh, was it? Yeah, I thought I, I thought it was drug related. No, no, no. I I honestly thought the same thing, and I want I wanted to look it up, but it is it was pneumonia. It was actually of natural causes. Oh, okay. Um, My apologies. Uh, although My apologies. I am I am sure that unfor- uh, unfortunate addiction problems probably did not help, but it, that was the the reason. Um, so the deal was if this cast, we look at the names. And some of them are, are pretty big names. Jason Patrick, Kiefer Sutherland, obviously. Um, Jamie Gertz has had a really good career. Well, one of the things I thought was actually interesting was that um, initially Jim Carrey was considered for the role of David, uh, Kiefer Sutherland's role. And, and I don't I don't know how that would have affected the movie, but I'm not quite sure you would have gotten the same the same feel from Jim Carrey playing the role as Kiefer Sutherland. Uh, <laughs> since he had started his own vampire movie two years before that, he was in Once Bitten. Yep, saw the that movie- in theater. Which which actually which actually makes a there's a movie poster in Max Movie Store for Once Bitten behind him in that scene, um, but ultimately Kiefer Sutherland took the job after some initial reluctance. But he did say, and this this reminded me of you guys actually, was that what actually made him decide to take the role was that they had lined up the bands In Excess and Jimmy Barnes to actually do the music for the movie, and he had recently become a a big fan of their music after having spent some time in Australia, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it was the music that convinced him to take the job, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah. And then he went on to direct a a music video for in excess as well. And the other person that was possibly, you know, tried out for a role or was supposed to be in this movie was Ben Stiller. Yeah. And And I I couldn't find anywhere where he would have been. Yeah. I, I couldn't find anywhere where it said who he was supposed to be, but I'd be guessing he'd be one of the Lost Boys because he would have been about that age, and maybe, maybe the um, Alex Winter part. Okay, okay. Although in, in watching this movie, I was very strongly considering maybe getting my ears pierced and do some of those um, the big tooth earrings with the feathers. You should maybe grow back the mullet. Yeah, do it. I think that, I think and, that could be a good look. Yeah, there you go. When Schumacher cast them, when he was like, "This is the cast. I want relatively unknown actors." And younger actors, they basically cut his budget like very early in the production, and that is where some of the the artistic decisions happened that I think we talked about earlier led to this movie being timeless. You know, they didn't were as Rob said, they didn't do the the silly wire work. They gave you the camera's eye view, or they gave the 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 vampires the camera view as they right. attacked, and it just led to you know, almost like a Jaws effect where you kind of were the vampires and you didn't see anything silly that pulled you out of the movie, which ultimately turned out to be, you know, one of those things that, like you said, made it timeless. Mm-hmm. And also you didn't really see them in full vampire mode until later in the movie, which led to a nice buildup. Mm-hmm. Some, something else that I was absolutely astonished to learn as far as this movie was concerned, you know, the budget was cut early in production, but they filmed the entire movie in three weeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I read that. It's crazy. And it's like, and they produce something like this that's that's basically stood up. It's still it's still a good movie, and the fact that they filmed it in three weeks, it's like, what are we doing now? What is going on? What? Yeah, <laughs> where like it takes like six years. months to a year to actually film a movie. Uh, VFX, but, I guess. What's cool is they like it, it's filmed in three weeks, but there's things that a lot of thought went into. Yeah, you know, like the way people were shown up on on screen, the way the way sets were built, so that. They're interesting. I, it's it's a really good piece of filmmaking, and uh, it opened not too bad, at least for the, in nineteen eighty seven money. Nineteen eighty seven. The numbers there are a little bit uh, 
little bit skewed because it was quite a while ago, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it made, um, it opened at number two on July 31st, 1987 with $5.2 million. It, it went on to gross $32.2 million domestically. Now, can you guys guess without looking at the script? I already saw it. Okay. Would it's you a callback. Would you have guessed that the number one movie was the Ghetto Blaster uh, featuring James Bond? Uh, that's not the title of it. It is The Living Daylights, which we I actually mentioned the last week as having one of the coolest gadgets, which was the rocket launching Ghetto Blaster. Yep. It's weird but when these little actually... like, tie-ins happen episode to episode. But there were also a lot purpose. of really good movies that came out in 87. Yeah, what? there were. The, the top the movie top... of 87 was what, Jimmy? <laughs> Three Men and a Baby? Yeah, I don't know how that um, happened. Okay, and let's, let's, let's do a little bit of movies that came out. Let's do a little bit of a callback there, too. Okay. Because two weeks ago, I believe we talked a little bit about the James Gunn firing. Uh-huh. It was related to that movie title, which I didn't really? say. Yes. Mm. The, re- the reason he got fired was, they, you know, on Twitter, they'll do those things late at night where it's like, ruin a movie by changing one word in the title or they'll like they'll do little things like that or like ruin a song Mm -hmm. or make take a famous song and make it about food instead of love or whatever and his submission was three men that had sex with a baby so as i said so i said it was a stupid joke but it was like one of like you know people just listing off things and like doing hashtag bad movie you know ruin a movie or something that's why he was in trouble but that is so dumb I mean, there was Disney, pro- there was yeah, little things like that, but it was very weird to see two callbacks like within one, two lines of each other. Because we, as we were typing this stuff out, I was like, "Oh, that's a callback that to something I almost mentioned." And then Jimmy typed the other thing. I'm like, "Oh, that's a callback to something we mentioned the very next week." So, well, how about we uh, talk about some of the movies that we've talked about? You know, mm-hmm. talking about callbacks in 1987. Let's see, man, a, a lot, a lot came out. Um, you got Predator, yeah, which is one of my all-time favorite movies. Um, also, up there's Evil Dead Two, that has been the subject of of lots of conversation for us. Yeah, um, let's see what else. Spaceballs, what, what you guys got okay. Spaceballs, yeah, a movie vampire I've, mill movie. Uh, I was gonna say a movie I've mentioned several times. Uh, Monster Squad. Mm-hmm. Yes, go, go ahead and say the the other one, Rob. That I know you want to say. My my favorite movie of all time, <laughs> Dirty Dancing, The, Prince, the Princess oh, Bride. <laughs> the Princess Bride was released in '87. Mm-hmm. Mentioned earlier was RoboCop. Yeah, uh, my favorite I, Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Nightmare I was going to say 3, my favorite Nightmare on Elm Street movie as well, Dream Warriors, with the best song. And I'll, I'll reminisce a little because this was the year we were, my parents were getting ready to move to Florida, and as I've said on this podcast before, I did not see a lot of movies in the theater as a kid, but. In 1987, my parents were going back and forth to Florida to pick a house and to do all the moving stuff. And I was staying with friends. And I saw most of these movies in the theater. I think a little part of that was them being like, well, you have to leave your friends. But I remember seeing Harry and the Hendersons in the theater. Uh, Robocop I saw in the theater, and that was filmed in Pittsburgh where I was living. I bet Um, you didn't see one of the other really famous movies on this list. In the theater? you were a kid in the theater. I saw Batteries Not Included. I did not see Near Dark in the theater, (laughs) although I should have. I'm talking about Full Metal Jacket. Oh no, I saw that. I I saw that in the theater. No, you didn't. No, I did not. <laughs> you were no, like you did not. seven. Yeah, no, I was. I was ten. 
I saw, but RoboCop, I very distinctly remember seeing in the theater, and I was a little bit horrified at the car hitting the the melting guy. <laughs> I saw one movie from this list in that theater. Can you guess what that was? Spaceballs. Nope. Masters of the Universe. Masters of the Universe. Oh, that was yeah, a huge He Man thing. And, and yeah. yet you continued going to movies. That yeah, was, it was great. Oh, no, wasn't. Stop. Get out of here. It was not. What else? Anything else? Uh, Hellraiser came out in 1987. Good Morning Vietnam, which oh, yeah. uh, Robin Williams actually won Best Comedic Performance. Uh, Raising Arizona. Oh, and Interspace. I saw that in the theater, too. Interspace was great. Martin Short. So let's move on to the uh, the actual yeah. story for um, for The Lost Boys. We're going to talk about the story now, and we're going to pepper in some kind of fun facts, things that you might have not known about the movie The Lost Boys. So it's uh it's a story of a, a family moving on after a divorce. Um, the mother Lucy and her son Sam and Michael move into uh, her father, you know, their grandfather's house, and his name is uh Grandpa. Yeah, that's <laughs> his name for the yeah, whole show. He's an eccentric taxidermist who loves the ladies. And can I just say that the um the actress who portrayed Lucy mm-hmm. was absolutely fantastic as the, as the vulnerable divorcee yeah. who, who I, she, she was just fantastic. She did a great job portraying all of the, all of the emotions of that character. Well, that's, that's Diane Weist. So she's like, yeah. mm-hmm. she's a pretty well-known actress, um, you know, known for, that doesn't change the fact that she was awesome. Oh yeah, no, she was. <laughs> yeah, but she had, you know, she just like in the Birdcage, oh, Edward's you know. hands, Hannah and her sister. She had actually just won an Academy Award, I think, for Hannah and her sisters. Ah, nice. Or at least was nominated. I'm not entirely sure, but that was the year before. So. Oh, and I forget to forgot to mention the dog. Uh, Nanook. Nanook. You can't forget the beautiful husky Nanook, the very protective dog uh, that travels with the family. Who actually was a reference back to the original plotline for the for the movie, because this if if you remember the or I don't know if you remember, but the the movie was actually oh sorry go ahead okay sorry I thought it fit there so I was throwing it in go ahead the the movie was actually meant to be a darker reimagined version of Peter Pan and you know Peter Pan was a vampire and that's how him and all the Lost Boys stayed young because he converted all the Lost Boys to to vampires and. And initially, the main character of David was supposed to be named Peter. Mm-hmm. And so the Lost Boys... All the floating outside of the window and stuff yeah, like that, too. Yeah. And the Lost Boys were all kids that uh, that Peter had turned. And that's actually where the, the name, like I was talking earlier, the name of uh, the dog, Nanook, came from. Because it was kind of like Nana from, from Wendy Michael? Yeah. Wendy Michael and what was the third kid's name? I do not know. Another They're Michael, really though. Man. Wayne. Wayne, yeah. Wayne's World 2. But but their dog was named Nana, and that, that was kind of where Nanook came from. The name for the dog Nanook came from. Mm-hmm. And they actually went through a bunch of rewrites. Um, you know, went from that route to then they kind of did a much younger skewed thing, like uh, Goonies with vampires, basically. Right. So the the vampires were actually like fifth and sixth grade kids, and the, the Frog Brothers were actually even younger. They were like eighth, like eighth grade um, or eight-year-old Cub Scouts. Yeah. And Joel Chubby Schumacher. Cub Scouts, I believe they said. Yeah. And Joel Schumacher was like, I am not filming that movie. 
which yeah. probably makes sense because you know you don't you really don't want a movie with eight year olds killing like you know whatever fifth and sixth graders. Yeah, are. and and they you know they he he said specifically that he wanted what a a sexier version, and that's mm-hmm. why he wanted to go with teenagers. Yeah, and it was it was right. It was the right call. Yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely. But one of the things sometimes I found when out, he goes sexier, you end up with nipples on the bat suit. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you end up with a good movie. Nice. Uh, it, it turns out pretty quickly that something is amiss with Santa Carla. As they start to drive into town, People Are Strange, originally by the doors, starts to play. This version is actually a cover by Echo and the Bunnymen. So the, what's cool about what that particular think? cover is mm-hmm. that Ray Manzarek, the original keyboardist of the doors, was working with Echo and the Bunnymen and, record, really? and recorded it with them at the time. Yeah, that's why it sounds so authentic. Mm-hmm. I actually really like the version of it, and I can't it's listen good. to this song without thinking of this movie. It's one of those ones for me that that like Eye of the Tiger, I think of Rocky. You know, it's just mm-hmm. one of those songs that I can't hear without thinking of the movie. Uh, for me, um, it's the Lost Boys, and also the legendary Rodney Mullins skateboard part on the Toy Machine video "Welcome to Hell." which you guys have no idea what that is, but they play People Are Strange. Anyhow, um, one of the, the funny kind of quotes, and we'll talk about a few quotes in the movie. Sam, as, as they're driving, says, what's that smell? And Lucy says something to the effect of, oh, you know, it's the beach and blah, blah, blah. And it, some foreshadowing. Sam responds with, smells like someone died. Yeah. And being that murder capital of the world is spray painted on the back of the Santa Carla sign, uh, rings pretty true. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're also, um, as they get in and they get settled, you start to see a lot of missing posters from people. And I might be jumping ahead, uh, uh, ahead a little bit, but, you know, serving to corroborate the, the claim of murder capital of the world. Um, Sam and Michael ask grandpa if it, truly is the murder capital of the world and grandpa with a great quote who provides several of them throughout the movie says uh quote if all the corpses buried around here were to stand up all at once we'd have one hell of a population problem you know rob said that earlier i just think it's a great quote worth repeating Mm -hmm. yeah now the name of the city is santa carla but it was of course filmed in santa cruz Mm -hmm. i've actually been in santa cruz i as i was i was driving up uh the Pacific Coast Highway, and I stopped and got some ice cream in Santa mm-hmm. Cruz because I, I don't think I have. So I wanted to, I wanted to see. It was actually a very gray day, although it was the summer. But that's besides the point. Now, when they started filming this, there, the Chamber of Commerce of the town was kind of ticked because they wanted to use the the boardwalk and they wanted to say the whole murder cap of the world. But the thing was, is that Santa Cruz was considered the murder capital murder capital of the world around that time due to two serial killers that were working mm-hmm. in the area at that time. So there was a uh, Herbert well, Mullen, not, not necessarily at that time. It was like 10, it years was, it was, it was about 10 years before, 10 yeah. years beforehand. So they were just getting out of people thinking about that. So there was um, Herbert Mullen who was, who was murdering people because he thought that he was preventing uh, earthquakes by doing so. He was, he was an environmentalist. To satiate the earth. Yeah. And he had said that basically now that Vietnam was coming to a close, all the blood spilled there, you know, was helping the earth before, but now he needs to keep on doing it. Not in his right mind, obviously. And then Edward Kemper. And Edward Kemper 
is one of the reasons why we think of the idea that um, hitchhiking is dangerous because he was picking up coeds and and murdering them. Uh, he also murdered his uh, grandmother and grandfather and his his own mother, which is after he killed his mother and her best friend. He then called the police and said some stuff. Uh, he is just as a lovely quote of his um, when he meets a nice. He said. Uh, a quote in like an interview in like, I think 1991 or something like that. Uh, one side of me says, when he meets a nice girl, he says, one side of me says, I'd like to talk to her and date her. The other side of me says, I wonder what her head would look like on a stick, which is. <laughs> wow. Jesus. Yeah. So he is actually still alive because he was sentenced in the time that uh, there was no death penalty across America. So he is still alive and he is. Uh, he is an interesting story that you can find some stuff on. And I ended up going down that rabbit hole after reading. I had not known much about him. I went down the little rabbit hole on that. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Well, I, don't, I looked I don't over your shoulder. has a death penalty now anyway, do they? I'm not sure. They did, but now, I, don't, I don't think they do at the moment. Yeah, I, I looked over your shoulder while you were going down that rabbit hole, and you kind of looked at me with this crazy look like, in your eye. <laughs> well, not like you were going to do something, but you were just like, yeah, I went down that route. Like this kind of sad. I'm sorry. I will leave you to it. I made myself yeah. sad. Like I started reading this. I should probably finish it, but go ahead. I don't want to anyway. Yeah. So what, what else do you have about Santa Cruz? Oh, um, the other little thing is if you want to visit Santa Cruz, they actually, they're, they went from hating, which is, I think this is kind of funny. They were like, we don't want you filming here, but now that the movie has a little bit of a cult classic status, people will actually go to Santa Cruz to see some of the locations. So there's the, mm -hmm. the trestle bridge, the carousel is still up. Um, the comic book store is actually still there, although it has moved to a different location, which I thought was kind of neat. And I've, I thought, I thought I had read that the comic, both the comic book store and the original bandstand were damaged in an earthquake. And yes. they had to, they uh, had very to soon thereafter, but the comic book yeah. store did move. The, the owner actually got the comic from the movie, the vampire comic. And yeah, the cast signed it and vampires everywhere. And the cast signed it and he will actually let you hold it if you go from at least as of this recording. And you can get a picture with it and do your your insta Facebook twittering with it. Oh come on. Don't pretend like you're not the king of Instagram. <laughs> Don't pretend I'm not. Because you beat me in likes every time. Don't It's because I've got a French bulldog and people are weird about it. I French know. Bulldogs. Anyway, uh, I've got a I've got a uh uh, soon planned trip to California, and I, I might have to, I might have to go down that that road. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, looking forward to doing that. Hopefully soon. So, back to where we are in the story. Michael and Sam go out to explore the the town of Santa Carla one night, and they stumble across the most amazing performance ever on the beach. I wish this happened in my town, but they see. Tim Capello performing, I still believe. And it is, I'm not even joking. I mean, when I, I saw this when I was very young, I was like, who is that? Mm -hmm. Like, I have to know who that and is. I, and I gotta say that as, as much as I love this movie, to me, that is one of the iconic scenes is that beach scene with the, with the oil down sax guy playing the sax like on the, on the beach. It's like, what? What's well, very unique look. He's, big he's wearing chains and he's you know making i'm sorry to say this but making a nerdy instrument very very sexy well there's a lot to like about that scene in general 
it first has that lovely establishing shot where it flies in, which had to be a helicopter mm-hmm. shot. As I, you talked about this last week, drones weren't a yeah, thing yeah. yet. So that was, that had to yeah. be a lot of their budget. So it goes into this party. It makes it seem like that is something that happens there all the time. It's not like, you know, oh, it's 4th of July. Let's do it. It just, it seems like this, this town is just a constant crazy party and it introduces the, the various characters, but, it, and it also introduces, um, star. Mm-hmm. Yes. She like shimmies kind of through the, the crowd. And even though she's in kind of like a dark shot, she's Im- immediately has, forgive the pun, but star power. Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> it's, it's and, true. Uh, Joel Schumacher, I, I listened to the, I watched the movie with the commentary on and Joel Schumacher said that's still one of his favorite shots that he's ever done. Oh, really? The introduction. Nice. Yeah. The introduction of star. Yeah. Nice. So introduced to star, David is pursuing, I'm, Michael. I'm sorry, Michael is pursuing her and it, you know, Sam is like, Hey dude, what are we doing? You know, come on. You're following that girl, aren't you? Aren't yep, you? Admit exactly. it. You're following that girl. I'm a slave to your sex drive. Yeah. (laughs) I I believe you said sex glands. Oh, okay. But um, this is at the point where Michael breaks off and Sam breaks off and Sam walks into the comic store and he meets the Frog Brothers. So the Frog Brothers. uh, The two Corys are united. Yeah, the two (laughs) Corey Feldman, Corey Haim meet and they kick off this beautiful relationship in a comic shop um, that is – run by two passed out hippie parents, but that's being, you know, operated by Edgar and Alan Frog, who... Obvious nod to. Yeah. Edgar Allan Poe. Yep. Which I didn't even think about for years. So there's some discussion about Batman number 14, um, the obvious difference in wardrobe between the Frog mm-hmm. Brothers and Sam, who looks like he came straight out of a, a music video. The yeah, brothers are when directing them and cat not really casting them but mm-hmm. getting their costumes ready uh michael schumacher basically just said to the actors who were both i think 13 I, at the time his name is joel schumacher sorry michael schumacher i was looking at the word michael on the list sorry joel schumacher well, said to the actors uh basically said you guys are gi joe and they want you to be like you know act like you're a gi joe figure which as you know i'm kind of excited about uh-huh and what I'm did gonna... they say to uh the other cory I'm not sure because that was not in the commentary. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> Have good hair and wear pastels. Because <laughs> he definitely, uh, looked, he definitely looks like hair. he stepped right out of a music video, an 80s music video. Yeah, yeah. that amazing jacket he has on. Those shoulder so, pads. Um, they talk about Batman number 14, um, Edgar and Alan Frog kind of try and shove this one comic onto to Sam. It's called Vampires Everywhere. But... Sam's like, I don't read horror comics. And then you've got, I want you guys to Google this if you're not familiar with it. I want you to Google Thrasher G.I. Joe right now because the guy that steals the comics who kind of leads that mm-hmm. and he's the one kind of antagonizing the Lost Boys in the beginning. Well, yeah. they antagonize him. But if you look at the G.I. Joe Thrasher, that is that character, man. <laughs> you never see put it? that together. Yeah. Thrasher, of course, the G.I. Joe figure character that was a lacrosse player that was kicked out for being too violent and used <laughs> a lacrosse stick that that threw a bomb. Yeah, but he had that he had that little uh, that little gray streak or whatever in his hair. Yeah, because why not? Well, it was green in the cartoon, but it was gray on the figure. So that's why. I mean, it it just looked just like it. 
<laughs> I never, I didn't put two and two together. All right. I, I just did. Yeah. So Michael, you know, in Michael's pursuit for star, he, um, ends up getting on his, his motorcycle and they had this amazing dirt bike, you know, motorcycle sequence where they, uh, I, th- I think we actually jumped ahead just a little bit cause we int- were introduced to the lost boys on the carousel. Yeah, we did. I'm sorry. And so, go ahead. this is where I was talking about them actually thinking ahead because they were, th- they were thinking ahead in the fact that the order in which you get introduced to the lost boys is actually the order they die. Yeah. Which I've, it, it's, Apparently more of a, you know, well-known trivia thing than I thought of because it's everywhere. I guess one person put it up and then everyone thought about it. But, you know, in a movie that just took three weeks to actually make, they did a lot of pre-production and planning planning. so that they got that stuff through. It's just a cool little callback and it shows that they were paying attention. However, they just, at the time, like if you didn't know this was a, a vampire movie, you would think it's just, these are just the neighborhood bullies or the the city bullies, punks that are messing with people. The thugs. Yeah. Because they end up picking on the guy and it could very well just turn into another karate kid movie. You know, they're picking mm-hmm. on the guy and like, Hey, you hop on your bike. And if you can catch us, you know, well, yeah. then you deserve to hang out with us. <laughs> to, to which basically that's what David said to Michael. And Michael said, I can't keep up with your bike. I can't beat your bike, man. I can't beat your bike, man. David says, you don't have to beat me. You just have to um, keep, up. keep up. Yeah. So they drive to Dead Man's Bluff or whatever it is and um, say hello to the night by Lou Graham plays. Oh, great song. <laughs> it, it really is. It's so That'd amazing. Foreigners, Lou Graham. It would be. Okay. There you go. And we uh, we end up at the Jim Morrison Lounge, as I've started calling it as of tonight, yeah. for the badass seaside cave hideout for the Lost Boys. Mm-hmm. This is where the budget constrictions helped them a lot because that cave set was not a full set. It was movable like walls. So they decorated the walls and they just moved them around. Put a big Jim Morrison poster on one. Yeah. They just moved them around to to fit the scene and it gave it almost like a living feeling because it would change from scene to scene to scene subtly. And again, that's how they saved some money. Okay. And I'm I'm actually surprised that it's not a that it wasn't a cave scene because it was very convincingly. Mm-hmm. It was, very it, it tall. was like, yeah, it was like a resort. But as you see later in the film, where they're well, like we said, you know, they do the shot where you're kind of from the perspective of the vampire. You fly into this cave on the side of the cliffs where they said it was a resort, but it was like, well, it's kind of small to be a resort. But I digress. So this is the part where um, we talked about this scene before from the movie What We Do in the Shadows, where they have guests over and they convince the guests that they're eating worms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, we stole this from the Lost Boys because in a scene, Michael is passed um, some rice and David says to him just in this great Kiefer Sutherland acting moment, he says, maggots, Michael, you're eating maggots. How do they taste? And, uh, Mike, you know, Michael looks down and it's uh, a box full of, of maggots. He drops it on the floor. And now, now, if there's filmmakers out there, I have learned a little bit about how to, about how to work with maggots. Oh, maggots oh, don't move very okay. much, they don't squirm like you see in the box. Okay. So when this you roll weird. the camera, 
you have to squeeze a little bit of lemon juice onto the maggots and then they start moving around. But apparently it does oh. not hurt the maggots. So both the worms and the maggots have just a little couple drops of, of lemon juice dropped on them. That's how they're moving around like that. Okay. Well, that's certainly very interesting. <laughs> um, it's going to help somebody. So and I, I wrote down here what, what better way to wash down worms and maggots is with some old stank ass wine. <laughs> because that's what it looked like. It did. It's blood, Michael. Don't do it. Yeah, sure. So we have this, you know, trippy sequence where Michael's drank the the blood of, I'm, I'm assuming, the head vampire, mm-hmm. uh, who's to be revealed later. But once Michael finally gets home and he's kind of put in the situation where he's alone with his brother, you know, Sam, and Michael starts to feel that hunger. Mm-hmm. And he, he can't, he can't contain it. So you've got this classic scene where Sam is in the bathtub uh, doing his best Clarence Frogman Henry um, singing into the the uh, the brush. <laughs> and Michael makes his way up and, you know, of, of course he's going to kill Sam. But Nanook has other plans. Yep. The Well, one of the things I, I thought about here was this is another reason why this movie is, is timeless because – yeah, in, in movie terms, what's happening is he's feeding for the first time or he's unable to stop himself from wanting to feed on his own brother. But what this could very well be is, you know, they move to the new town, the older brother meets new friends, and the younger brother is now kind of like scared of him and is kind of like they're they're disconnecting. And it's it's right. just one of those like little things where it's like this good family connection. Exactly. It's starting to pull apart and you can look at it in two different, you know, ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's certainly a way to look at it, um, and it's very true. I think, although they 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 kind of reconnect for a little while there after that scene, you have this classic part where, <laughs> you know, he Sam gets out of the bath, he comes down the stairs, Michael is bleeding, he wraps his hand up, says Nanook was protecting you, and Sam says to Michael, uh, <laughs> "You're a vampire." My brother, a what does he say? Like a shit sucking vampire or something? I think he said a goddamn blood sucking vampire. But he says that, and he says, "You wait till mom finds out, buddy." Yeah, <laughs> like, and that's a very funny relationship. How after that, uh, Sam's on the phone, his mom calls, and he's very much like, "Mom, he's trying to kill me!" Ah. Yeah. And, He's not fleeing in terror. He's just kind of like, well, damn it, Michael's a vampire. Some, you know, somebody come do something about this. And I think it's just one of the funniest relationships. It's a very thirteen-year-old kid type thing too. Yeah, um, while Mike, he's hitting me on my side. Mom, he's a vampire. He tried he's to a eat. vampire. He's gonna come, you know, kill me. Hurry up and get home. He's so you can to kill put me. him on restraint. Ah, and she's like out on a date and she's like, oh, my God, she hangs up the phone and comes running. So this whole time we've had this kind of fun, you know, light vampire movie. And I don't know if you guys have ever thought this and I'll ask this in a, a second. But we uh, things start to get serious where Michael is, I guess, almost fully indoctrinated and he's hanging out with these the Lost Boys and they end up at this uh, bonfire mosh pit. This really cool looking tree. They're all like perched in the tree. Yeah, mm-hmm. which it just—it's a cool shot. It's a cool thought. You know, like they're stalking their prey. Mm-hmm. 
And I never realized how violent the scene was. Yeah. Until tonight, I think. Mm-hmm. Because you've got <laughs> there's a scene where Kiefer uh, Kiefer Sutherland's character David bites into someone's head, mm-hmm. and the blood just goes spraying out. He uh, eventually scalps him. I mean, what did you guys think about that? It, did you think it I was, it was very weird wow. the biting into the head thing? Yeah, I almost thought that, that that seemed like he made a mistake, like he missed his mark. But it was, I mean, they had effects, so obviously not. But yeah, it, it escalated very quickly. I mean, it was, it was a very, it was a very brutal scene, and I think that's what they were going for. I think just him biting the neck would not have been the actual the actual scene that they were looking for. They they wanted to show these guys like literally rip these guys apart. I mean, obviously you can't show that on screen, but they wanted mm-hmm. to get that across that they, they fed, but they didn't feed just to feed. You right. Know what I mean, just they, to keep moving. Right. They, they, they were with brutal killers and they actually kind of enjoyed it. Yeah. Oh, kind of. They were and, dancing with their dead. And that's, and that's kind of that. I think that's also a part of what turned Mike off. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was like, oh, look what I'm yeah. going to become. Exactly. Or like a like an almost like, okay, I came along with these guys. All right, well, I'm finally going to do it. And they saw it and he was like, whoa, no, thank you. You guys are beyond feeding for sustenance. You're toying with your prey now. Yeah, because it, it might not have engendered the same visceral reaction if they'd have done it um, a la interview with the vampire style where they seduce them, then gently bite them and kill them that way. Um, you, you would not have gotten the same reaction to the, to the brutal manner in which these people. Oh, they could have done it. The, uh, what we do in the shadows way where he just kind of, he's laying out newspaper. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, Oh yeah, that's very interesting. (laughs) And it's, you come stand over here. Yes. It's goofy, awkward scene, but (laughs) Okay, so after David, you know, this bonfire scene where David realizes, hey, I don't, I don't want to be a part of that, they decide to take it to him. After Michael realizes. Uh, David, I keep doing that. I'm sorry, Michael. After Michael realizes that that is not what he wants to become, they decide to hire the Frog Brothers and go after the vampires directly. Mm-hmm. Where we have, I, I think, a great scene where uh, R.I.P. Marco, they take it to the, like I said, they they try and and root them out while they're at their most vulnerable state well they're not quiet about it while they're sleeping yeah they're they're not quiet about it they go to the cave and they they find star and they're like hey what's up and they're basically screaming like no don't kill her she's fine you know whatever they were talking so loud and i've seen the movie a bunch of times obviously as have you and i was like shh guys seriously yeah like the vampires are right up there but but also, very interestingly, I didn't know it, but that scene actually introduces a phrase that was that was reused later on, especially in like the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movies. But the they they basically coined the phrase vamp out. Because yeah, Corey, yeah. Corey Feldman says to Michael at one point as they're as they're getting ready to head into the cave, if you vamp out or try to stop us in any way, I will stake you. <laughs> yeah, and uh Fun fact, the uh, vampires from Buffy the Vampire Slayer were modeled directly after the Lost Boys. Yeah, with like nice. the ri- the ridges on their head and the kind of the, mm-hmm. the flat bridge yeah. of the nose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that scene is, you know, it's first of all the where that whole kids going off on an adventure thing comes in for me. As I said earlier on, 
in this thing. I always like the idea of, you know, hopping on my bike and going in the woods with like you know, your backpack yeah. full of equipment. That's just like a flashlight and a rope and whatever. Or else. if you're me, a bunch of steak knives. Yeah. A hockey stick. And a, mm-hmm. a tarp and a bunch of lime. Perhaps something that you could use to discombobulate a bot. Oh, sorry. Um, I need uh, to not what? read anything on Wikipedia anymore. But anyway, um, so they get to kind of do their, their adventure, their, their Goonies scene, so to speak. But with real life and death consequences, they're you know, insane. And it leads to a very famous part of the movie. And that being the, the sun burning Keith Sutherland or Michael's hand or David's hand. I keep on doing it. We're going to do that forever. You did it too. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, Burning his hand and it cuts to his face and there's a tear that like rolls down. It kind of hangs on his eyelid for a second and rolls down his face. And that was actually due to very uncomfortable hard contacts that all these guys had to wear. Yeah, he was um, having some trouble with his contact lenses and it caused his eyes to water. Mm-hmm. And it ends up being one of the more memorable scenes. It's one of those things that I remember like, I saw that movie once and that scene I remembered. Just like you know Tim Capello and the uh, the long shots of the the boardwalk. But that was another one of the scenes I was like, wow. Yeah, it kind of hangs there for a second too long. Mm-hmm. But then Kiefer Sutherland in his brilliance, his whole facial expression changes um, to owl that hurt to, all right, I got y'all where he says tonight, mm-hmm. yeah. which I think was a, a great emotional shift in the character. It's, I mean, and what his, one of his running partners just died and he knows and he kind of, yeah. there's like a laugh involved, like an, a sinister laugh. Mm-hmm. So it makes him that much more evil. Yeah. They killed Bill. Rest in peace, Bill. Yeah, we, we didn't talk dead, about dude. it too much, but speaking of the David Michael thing, um, one of the most, actually the most said word in the entire movie is Michael. Other than you mean the, David? No. <laughs> other okay, than well. like of and the and, and and that kind of stuff. But um, I don't know if it was in the original script, but you know, every time David talks, he says, Michael, you're going to join us, Michael. You're going to do this, Michael. And it's it's like said like 113 times or 170 118. times. 118. It's, it's 118. It said it said a bunch, and it definitely gives him even, even more. Even when Corey Haynes' character is yelling at his brother, Michael. <laughs> yeah, it just gives uh, him just such a more of a sinister, like talking down to someone, and yeah, it's a manipulative mind control kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's like a car salesman. <laughs> I want to put you in this Mitsubishi, Greg. Is that something that happened to you, Greg? Do you want to talk about it? I'm Greg. sure it has. I have problems. Okay. <laughs> No, it's. I actually did get into that Mitsubishi. Moving on. So, but then you've got then you've got them gearing up for the battle that they obviously know is coming because they left a bunch of them alive. Mm-hmm. So now they've got to prepare the house for for a battle. So it's Home Alone with vampires. Yeah, and whose idea was it to tie Nanook out out by the road? What was that uh, garbage? I don't know. Maybe poor dog ownership. Maybe yeah. the thinking was that Nanook would turn on Michael again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you you had to tie her up like a hundred yards away from the house. <laughs> I mean, it was it was she was like at the end of the driveway. That's like the length of a football field. It's like mm-hmm. they're timing the guy on a forty yard dash while he goes to save Nanook. It's like what you didn't think to bring her in before it was dark outside. Not cool. Not cool. Jerk. Basis. Yeah. When, when Nanook becomes such a huge part of you know the whole plan, 
Um, well, not the whole plan, them. but she, yeah, she saves the, the Frog Brothers. Yeah. So what do they do for preparation? Of course, well, tie the dog out for some reason. Um, they do, in fact, put they, the uh, the holy water in the bathtub with garlic. They, yeah, they barge into a church while there's a service going on, like a baptism or something, and they're filling up their super soakers in the uh, in the water by the door, the holy water by the door, <laughs> the little bowls of water by the door. That is my girlfriend's favorite scene in the movie because it's such a like it's such a thoughtful treatment. You know, it's like, hey, we we got to go get holy water. We need it now. Mm-hmm. So the bus and say, "Hey, don't mind us." You know, right by the door, they fill their super soakers full of holy water. Now, do they do church services that late at night? Dude, I live across the street from a church. No, this this wasn't at night. This was this was during the day when they were making the preparations. But remember, yeah. they left when it was uh, still light morning, outside. Yeah. yeah, no, there there are a hundred cars at this church at any point in the day before seven o'clock. Jeez. Okay, so anyway, they they prepare the house. The big vampire attack scene happens, and they dispatch with the vampires, you know, kind of one by one by one. I like also, that the vampires aren't like the super fast type that you see in a, in more recent TV shows. They have some extraordinary powers, but they're not so fast and powerful that there's no possible chance that anyone could get the jump on them. Yeah, that's a good right. point. But they also they also break from from slightly from original original lore, I guess, if you will. About the vampires, mm-hmm. because the vampires and and perhaps it's you know they could they could explain it away, but they actually didn't really address it in the movie because they actually come into the house without being invited. Now, I mean, I guess you could say, well, they invited they invited the head vampire into the house, so you know the invitation extends to his subordinates, but they don't really ever address that. The, the well, they, they talk about inviting a vampire this in. Is, this is just a guess because the head vampire, who we haven't really talked about yet got invited in earlier in the movie and therefore was not able to Correct. be killed by any of the tr- the normal ways. Well, not, not and necessarily he was invited killed, in by Michael. didn't didn't react to it anything. It didn't react to, to anything because he was invited in. The other ones broke in and reacted to the stuff. So it might be that that's the route they went, which is right. not traditional. It just makes them weaker if they're not invited in. Correct. So that could have been the route that they went. It's just something that they didn't really talk about mm-hmm. after, and I'm gonna, after the initial. Uh, as we kind of close out, I was going to talk about some of the stuff that they still, that this movie actually created. Like you meant, you touched on the vamp thing, but there's a few other things that people still do based on this movie when they're coming up with their own vampire lore. I think it's kind of neat. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so this, let's go back to the, the battle real quick. And, you know, the, the epic battle happens and uh, Jason Patrick's character, uh, We'll go with Michael. He um, or David? No, it's not. You're that's just going to throw us off. Stop it. So Michael actually goes vampire. Like he starts looking like a vampire. He's got the the ridge of the eyebrow, the ridge of the brow. He's got the the eyes starting to turn in order to kind of power up, so to speak, to to fight David. Mm-hmm. And this actually sort of pissed off Jason Patrick because he was promised that he wouldn't have to put on any vampire makeup. So he actually filmed that scene kind of mad at Joel Schumacher. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. And Joel Schumacher. That's pretty awesome. Actually understood. He's like, I, I didn't mean to lie to you. It's just the narrative of the movie means that we, we kind of have to do this because of this battle. It's not going to make sense if you don't exhibit some of these powers. I can see that. Which is funny because you look badass as a vampire. 
this whole time we've been waiting for the reveal of the head vampire and we finally get it in who is it it's not, not grandpa it's not grandpa not david yeah they really sold the fact that it was going to be grandpa he was kind of weird he was yeah. always in his little cave uh, taxidermy taxidermying animals and the taxidermy aspect of a character in movies usually leads you to believe that he you're going to be dealing with a serial killer yeah. um, all the way back to psycho and forward you know well, so and they they tried they did it on purpose mhm they tried early in the movie to eliminate max you know from the situation where the lost boys come into a shop and he goes i told you guys you know not to to come in here anymore and um and even no. stalking him at the house with the the motorcycles outside yeah. revving their engines with the lights. So like he's just a local vendor that's pissed them off. Mm-hmm. And when they – after Lucy delivers a bottle of wine as an apology to Max for bailing on their date, Sam goes in, talks to the Frog Brothers and says, hey, I think this guy's got a hound of hell like from the comic. And so they go, all right, let's set him up. That's my Corey yeah, that's, impression. That is a a theme that has happened in some vampire lore where they have the, the guard dog that guards them when they sleep. And that's where they pulled that from. Mm-hmm. So they have Max over for dinner and they kind of just, you know, they throw garlic at him, holy water and all this stuff. And none of it works because why? Because Michael invited him in. Right. So you don't suspect him, you know, until the end of the movie where after they've killed David, and they've killed the other Lost Boys that, you know, Michael, he's still a vampire. And then Max comes home with Lucy from their date. And Max says, I'm sorry, this is all my fault. And he plays it so cool. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm the head vampire. And I can F all y'all up. Mm-hmm. It's so weird. The head vampire is like some nerdy guy with like horn rim glasses. But he pulled it off. Oh, no, he did. He didn't I mean, what well. better disguise, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, of course, they have to now battle the, the head vampire. Epic vampire battle. Yep. And it basically goes very quickly, and the head vampire th- tosses Michael up into a bunch of, you know, uh, stuff. Yeah, into a bunch of taxidermy animals. Well, he throws them up into the second floor. Yeah. And then you hear, uh, you know, right where Lucy, the mother, says, well, okay, well, I guess I'll be your... Um, Dracula's bride, basically. To save to, my boys. Yeah. Um, Grandpa shows up. With his awesome truck whatever thing, and you hear it. Well, they, they play the horn, and it's, you know, was it like La Cucaracha? Is it, yeah, I think it is. And, it and then it lights plays the wall. Yeah, it plays a super sweet organ version of it. <laughs> and giant wooden stakes. Yeah, which I watched that very closely. And that is another practical effect that holds up very well mm-hmm. from the body reaction of Max to the, you know, he's, he's shot into the fireplace and just explodes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now the, we didn't really talk too much about David dying because he does die differently than the other vampires. Uh, yeah. He gets thrown onto, and I meant, I think I mentioned this earlier. I don't remember, but I he gets thrown onto some antlers, and he doesn't disintegrate and you know explode or implode or whatever else they mention. And that was 
because they had planned on him not actually dying. That was he was set up because again, oh, really? Kiefer Sutherland was an up and coming star. He wasn't a huge star yet, and they had planned on him being in the sequel with the with his lost girls. So that's mm-hmm. why they they left it open. However, many years later, when the sequel never happened, they said, "Okay, he's dead." Yeah, Kiefer Sutherland is a bigger star now. He's not going to be in the sequel. He's busy saving the world every twenty four hours. So we'll just end it. Um, and then the the other little kind of fun thing. And this, I love editing. Like, I love film editing. I, I think it's an underappreciated art. And the death by stereo line, people were apparently cheering when that vampire gets gets stabbed through the stereo and, like, fries. Uh-huh. So, so people were, like, like, they fried them. And people were cheering so much that when they did the, the like, the test crowds that no one heard the line death by stereo. So if you notice, they, like, cut away. And then they cut back and he's still kind of frying and then they cut away again. They had to add that extra part so that you could uh, actually hear that line. Uh, so that, that is one place where reshoots or not reshoots, but where the the fans or the people that the saw the movie audience. before and said they were just sitting there like, oh, that's a really great line, which it is. And no one's hearing it. So I thought that was a just kind of a really cool little fact. Yeah, it is, uh, especially since the last vampire film we talked about where they did research, uh, Reese shoots was on I Am Legend, which still sucked. Mm-hmm. Pun intended. So Thank let's, you, uh, let's finish up the movie and then, uh, sure. Go ahead. So uh, the movie ends. Yeah, I, I think we pretty much got there. Um, grandpa kills Max and, and David slips out the back, but not really because now he's dead. And wasn't it um wasn't it wasn't it supposed to end differently, Greg? Yeah. So it does end on a joke. Uh grandpa says uh he comes in, he grabs a uh like a knee high or Dr. Pepper or something, and he says, One thing about living in Santa Carla, I can never stomach all the damn vampires. Which, Which is just a great great way to end the movie. Good joke, but in the in the terms of plot, bad idea because who the hell would invite their daughter and grandkids to stay with them in a vampire-infested town? But that's besides the point. <laughs> um, punching holes in it. Yeah, it's about the only thing, but it's you know worth it for the tagline. Now, it wasn't supposed to end that way. It was actually supposed to um, cut to a scene of Grandpa at the refrigerator, but um, and then they were supposed to go to find like the surviving Lost Boys at that hotel, and the they're supposed to like kind of pan into a mural that's on the wall. And you would see like an old, like 1900s version of Max sitting there with a bunch of kids. And they were supposed to look at like very obviously the way they did today. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was in the script, but it was never shot. But I right, think that would have actually been a better. I'm not sure who, who were the surviving members because I thought they were all killed. Who were the surviving members? They, they, adjust, they adjusted. Oh, okay. They killed everybody. Yeah. Gotcha. So it would have been. In theory, it would have been Kiefer Sutherland is probably one of them. Oh, and possibly the the kid, which we have not talked about yet. Laddie. Yeah. I guess we can do that now. I mentioned not too long ago that there was certain vampire mythology that they kept. The mirror, garlic, holy water, the guard dog thing I mentioned. Um, and Rob, of course, mentioned that the vamp outline and the fact that like they could change from normal to like, horrific beast kind of came from there. Were, were they also the first to originate the... The you're not really turned until your first kill thing. Yes. Okay. As far as far as I know, the other thing that 
became a much bigger thing a few, you know, about seven, 10 years ago. The uh, idea of like rebellious, like sexy teenage vampires, because up until that point, vampires were blah, blah, I want to suck your blood. That type, you know, they yeah. were seductive, but they were Old more along rich. the lines of, yeah. So these were like the, the rebel kind of vampires. That's the first time you really saw that. It was also, as far as I could find, I, I did some, I looked around. It was also the first time they ever showed like, you know, if a kid gets turned into a vampire, he's unable to control it. So he becomes a lot more feral because he doesn't have the, the kind of the moral background that like, in this case, Michael had where he was able to like stop himself. Mm-hmm. Because anytime you see like a kid as a vampire, um, I very specifically like in the, the TV show, The Strain, for example, they're like way more feral than the average vampire. Well, and that was also that was also a big plot point for Twilight and why why uh, Renesmee was such a problem, because, you know, children don't don't reason the same way that adults do and they haven't matured enough to the point and a child can destroy an entire village just from continuous feeding. And that's why making children vampires was forbidden in Twilight. Jimmy, Rob just talked about Twilight on our podcast. I did. With actual facts. And I feel dirty. You should. Mm -hmm. Because without the Lost Boys, there would be no Twilight. Mm -hmm. But it was perfect. I'm fairly certain of that. Mm -hmm. You know, Jimmy. But yeah, you make a point. A helper monkey wouldn't talk about Twilight on the podcast. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I totally just derailed the whole conversation. I'm sorry. Totally did. Yeah, I was <laughs> like, wait, what? <laughs> it's okay. It's fine. Well, speaking of, of derailing in some way, um, right. there were two sequels to The Lost Boys. Um, Lost Boys The Tribe and Lost Boys The Thirst. Uh, there's also, I just found it, a Lost Boys The New Breed short, like a fan film that was released in 2018. And I think you can find it on YouTube. And Lost Boys The Flamethrower. Oh. Yes. Next, we'll be joined by Tim Capello, the beach performer from The Lost Boys, who has a new album out called Blood on the Reed. So join us for episode 50, Side B, which will be showing up in your feed in just a few days. me play the stomach bongos oh that's recording (laughs) it's hot in my apartment okay i look like tim capello on the beach right now chains and everything no one looks that cool that's true